holiday season, Thomas, and I'm doing a lot of parties, like, you know, going to the, the Christmas parties, Hanukkah parties, just mm-hmm. celebrating. And, uh, and I'm also going to trivia with people as well a few times or once a week or so. Um, being the movie guy at like a trivia team is sometimes like a great thing and a bad thing. See, see, I've, I've got the the different problem is it's it's a I've do trivia with a bunch of people who work in the film industry, and we had to we had to recruit a sports guy. <laughs> Did you really? Our our friend's neighbor is like a local sports broadcaster, oh. and we were like, you gotta bring you gotta bring him out, you gotta bring him to trivia with us. Yeah, so it's like so basically, it's like if 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 you like the movie guy it's, again like with trivia, trivia is very key. Like you want to have people who can like do specific things i feel like i'm i'm on the one that i go with i feel like i'm also kind of the when i do it it's like some of the some of the sports like specific sports that uh that comes up and then movies uh and then mm-hmm. and, and my and my thing is that if i don't know it at all i just step back and don't say anything and they're like mm-hmm. why aren't you saying anything? I was like, because i don't know and i'm not ruining this for us <laughs> because that's that's me with geography anytime they yes. say geography i'm like all right i'm going to the bar i'm going to get a beer <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. They were just like this last, and they're like, you're just kind of vibing. I was like, I don't know the answer. I'm not saying anything. Because the one time <laughs> I said, like, what if it's this? We got it wrong, and it was someone else's answer that was right. And I was like, I'm not, I'm I'm staying out of this. But we were at a party this week, and it was like people who were in our friend group who were all movie people. And there's people who like weren't in the film industry who were there that we didn't really know. And uh it was Dan, and we had like a Dan had a book of movie trivia. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, this half of the room's on this team, this half of the room's on the other team. And so it was like all the film people on one side and all the non-film people on one side. And it would just be like half the question would get read and someone would be like, oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. <laughs> and the people who are reading the question like, how do y'all know this? <laughs> um, and and there was like some that we were, they had like a last picture show question. Uh, and what's funny, because there was one person, one or two people on the other team that were, that were in our group. And a question would come up that they know I would know because I have shown them the trailer like hundreds of times. Uh, and they're just like, I know this because Brandon has like showed this movie, movie to me, but I've never actually watched the movie. <laughs> Ever seen dead again with Kenneth Branagh? That was the question. Oh, I've never, I've never seen it's it. It's no. good. It's good. Uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson, very interesting kind of uh, story, but like early, early to mid nineties. Brandon had a Brandon's had a very interesting career, like the path of doing all Shakespeare yeah. adaptations to then uh, Perot adaptations, and then also like a Jack Ryan movie <laughs> in there at some point. Um. Anyway, enough mm-hmm. about that. Let's get this started. I'm Brand Sparks. I'm Thomas Horton, and this is the Nation Podcast. And before we dive into what we've been talking about this month, which will give you guys a quick heads up uh, for the month of January. We're going to be taking a break from the show for a little bit, not for a while, just a month, uh, with the holidays coming up, and we're nearing our 300th episode, and we're trying to kind of make everything work perfectly uh, with that, and all of our schedules are just kind of crazy. Uh, I know, like, holidays, I'm traveling a lot over the holidays, Thomas is is traveling and working, and so we'll be kind of rushed to get this, the, the episodes out, so we're kind of hold off for January, start back in February. We're going to be re-releasing old episodes in January that are like two years old or whatever. So if you're new to the show and haven't really explored our back catalog, hopefully these episodes help you uh, kind of uh, pinpoint some series you want you want to listen to that we've done. Um, so yeah, Thomas and I will be picking those. We'll kind of announce those as they're coming up. Um, so stay tuned for that. But this month, 
And since holiday season, it's Christmas season, we've been talking about New York Christmas movies. And so, Thomas, this is our last episode of the the uh, main series on here about this. So give us a recap. What have we talked about about the New York Christmas film genre? Well, we've talked about how New York kind of represents these, this idea of, of like the the ultimate intersection of commercialism and, and Christmas the christmas spirit or christmas mm-hmm. time and, and and the idea that that you know new york is obviously this huge commercial hub and this this place of industry and and wealth and but it is also like we said in the first episode it's very aesthetically associated with christmas mm-hmm. there's rockefeller plaza there's the the rockets there's the you know macy's parade that we will be talking about today yeah um but then there's also this idea, you know, there's Wall Street, there's uh, Fifth Avenue, there's there's all these rich people that, that don't know the spirit of Christmas. And so yeah. it represents, you know, like we've said, almost every Christmas movie is a Christmas carol in some sense. I think, you know what, I'm, I, I think we actually said this back when we back when we came up with that. It's like you're either a Christmas carol or you're a Santa movie. Yeah. Those are the two ultimate genres of Christmas movie. Yeah. And, uh, and and so we've done a couple of christmas carol type movies yeah. this uh this month but we've got a santa movie here but um but yeah you know it just it's it's always about this idea of the christmas spirit and can a certain someone or or, or a group of people be given the christmas spirit and with new york like we said it represents this this place where the the idea of of commercialism of the anti-christmas spirit is kind of always in conflict yeah. with christmas specifically in new york yeah and i think too i think we talked about last week with it happened on fifth avenue because that was kind of dealing with like military background is that like new york is like kind of seen as like a hub of, of america uh, as we're as you're kind of talking about commercialism and all that but also like in con- connection to world war ii how like a lot of soldiers came or left uh for the war at new york and came back to New York uh, when the war was over, some stayed there. And so just like New York is always seen as like an entry point, even for immigrants as well, an entry point, an exit point for a mm-hmm. lot of people at this period. And because Christmas movies are so tied to like World War II, um, and especially in like a post-war uh, world as well, because this comes out in 1947, you're looking at post-war uh, film, it all kind of ties back to New York in, in some way. Mm-hmm. And we talked about with Elf how that, that kind of tied with 9-11 in a way where they're trying yeah. to like take back New York uh, with the imagery of Christmas. Um, and so, yeah, it's that constant, that constant uh, relationship and kind of conflict between the spirit of Christmas and commercialism of Christmas. And that's going to be a key point with today's movie of Miracle on 34th Street. So with Miracle on 34th Street, it stars Maureen O'Hara, John Payne, Edmund Gwynn, uh, Gene Lockhart, and Natalie Wood. Also a good appearance by William Frawley of the I Love Lucy show. Mm-hmm. And Thelma Ritter. See Thelma Ritter pop up for the one scene? Mm-hmm. Uh, from, yes. From, from from Rear Window. Uh, and Uncut. Yeah, she's the she's the mo- like the first mother, yeah, right? She's like, thanks, ba- thanks, bud, or whatever, when, when he like, says, oh, you should get this. <laughs> it was her first movie role, actually. It was her it was her film debut was in this movie. Oh wow. At the age of forty five. You can start late, everyone. You don't have to start early. You can start late. But uh, she did mostly <laughs> stage stuff. Uh but yeah, written by or story by Valentine Davies. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh but screenplay by George Seaton and directed by George Seaton. Um 
it's released by 20th Century Fox. So Daryl Zanuck will be a big player in today's episode. And so with this movie, Thomas, I, I've i seen it a few times over the years. But what's your history with Miracle on 34th Street? Oh, this was a like a Christmas staple for us. I think I've I think I've said before there's like a, a three-way battle in my mm-hmm. house of like what's going to be the Christmas Eve movie. I'm a I'm a it's a wonderful life guy. My sister is White Christmas and uh my dad is always Miracle on 34th Street and mm-hmm. he he always he always says we don't watch this one enough. But um <laughs> yeah, we we always had this one on when I was a kid. We also like very much as a family embraced the remake. Um, we had it on VHS. We had the the soundtrack on, on CD. So, um, so yeah, this one got as much play. Those were the three Christmas staples in my house growing up. So this one mm-hmm. got as much play or my dad would argue otherwise, but I think <laughs> as much play as, um, it's, it's like, we never saw it. Is, is he going to try to watch it this Christmas? That's going to be, Oh, for sure. The, the way the way he gets you now is is he, he'll let you like you know you'll be sitting around and, and he'll be like have you guys seen white christmas this year and you know like a two or three days before christmas and yeah. he'll be like oh we'll put it on and so then when it comes around to like christmas eve he'll be like well you guys already watch white christmas and it's a wonderful life so we have to do miracle on 34th street tonight <laughs> that's funny that's his way of like uh conning you all to watch miracle on 34th street mm-hmm. but you can be like hey dad i've already watched it you should listen to our episode on uh, <laughs> 34th street uh my moms really love this movie over over time it's kind of what I, where i was introduced to natalie wood we'll talk about that a little bit later as well um as being like a, a one of the early popular child stars at one point i, I don't know if they still do it amc like when after Christmas story did so well with the like 24 hours of Christmas story, a lot mm-hmm. of networks are trying to do like their version of it. And mm-hmm. I feel like AMC for one or two years did miracle on 34th street, like all 24 hours while it's still a big movie. It's tried to get a bigger audience over time. It hasn't been as successful as say like a, a it's worth a life. I, I feel like, or even a Christmas story, which is again, 40 years later. Um, but, uh, it still is is really really a, a key kind of chapter in the Christmas genre, and specifically, I think the the New York Christmas genre. I think it's kind of the key one in the New York Christmas genre. So mm-hmm. it's funny how we're we're yeah. kind of starting at the end here uh, with this movie, but it is kind of really going into the idea of commercialism and the Christmas spirit, and kind of the conflict between the two. And I feel like there's a little bit of like. Uh, like Christmas Carol in a way there with like with Marino Harris character being kind of like, Oh yeah, Christmas, whatever. Like Santa's not real. Mm-hmm. And then he has to turn, but it's also, we talked about this a little bit with elf as well, where it's like, I mean, guess at the beginning is that like, we're having to turn these cynical New Yorkers into like lovers of the Christmas spirit. Uh, if it's the ending of elf with like, Oh, we got to get the sleigh to go up. We got to get Christmas spirit. Uh, this is a very similar thing here with miracle on 34th street so let's dive into the history of how miracle on 34th street got to production so our story starts with two friends who are working in the film industry and these two friends were george seaton and valentine davies now seaton and davies were both writers but most recently at this time seaton had transitioned to directing uh, George Seaton began working in Hollywood as a writer in the 1930s. After being an actor in the theater and also on radio, Seaton, fun fact, was actually the original voice of the Lone Ranger 
on the initial oh, wow. initial, for the radio show? On the initial radio show on January thirty first, nineteen thirty three. They did like TV, they did like, like test broadcasts beforehand that weren't him, but the like official premiere premiere they say uh, was Seaton. He did the voice for I think a few months. Uh, he said he created the phrase "Hiyo Silver." Lone Ranger is one of his big phrases because he mm-hmm. couldn't whi- he couldn't whistle like the script asked him to, <laughs> so he created that phrase. Wow. After writing a few plays, he was signed by MGM in the same year of 1933. Uh, Seton mostly did uncredited rewrites on projects, including the Marx Brothers film A Night at the Opera. Uh, his first credited screenplay was actually the Marx Brothers film A Day at the Races. He would also hmm. do uncredited work on the hit film Stage Door, starring Catherine Hepburn, Ginger Rogers, and I think Lucille Ball is also in this movie. It's a great film, Stage mm-hmm. Door. Uh, he would also be one of the many uncredited writers on The Wizard of Oz in 1939. After his time at MGM, Seton would jump to Columbia Pictures for a few years before landing at 20th Century Fox. There, he would write several movies for Fox, with his biggest success being The Song of Bernadette in 1943, which received 12 Oscar nominations, including one for Seton's screenplay. It's funny, the movies that get carried over in the pop culture. Mm -hmm. 12 Oscar nominations. Rarely anyone talks about The Song of Bernadette. (laughs) It's one I've been wanting to see for a while. I think this success would allow Seton to transition to the director's chair in 1945 with the Betty Grable musical, The Diamond Horseshoe. Uh, and soon, uh, after all this success and moving up in the director's world, Seton would find himself on vacation with his friend, Valentine, also known as Val Davies. And Davies had only two screenplay credits to his name at this point, but he had written a few plays as well. Now, Davies and Seton were on vacation with their wives around Christmas time in uh, one year. And Seton says he and Val were talking about how upset they were at the commercialism of Christmas and how it had become more about the gifts and the money making than the Christmas spirit and all the other like nice things about it. Davies talked about the struggles he had trying to find a gift for his wife during the busy Christmas crowds. And during this conversation, actually, it was during that time when he was trying to find a gift he can't with this idea. And he brought it up to seat and he said, Hey, I wonder what would happen if Santa Claus came back and saw what all has happened to Christmas <laughs> and Seton liked that idea. So they both began working on a script for the movie and the title was it's only human. That was the initial title. That's by okay. the way, just the first of many title changes. Yeah. Um, Seton said he and Val had disagreements on how they should portray Santa Claus Val wanted the character to actually, or Chris Kringle at least, uh, Val wanted Chris Kringle to actually be Santa Claus, while George Seton wanted to be kind of ambiguous. Uh, It seems at some point they would part ways. Uh, Seton would take over full writing duties for the film, while Davies would get story by credit. However, Davies would write the novelization of the movie uh, for when it came out. So I guess they were still partners in some way. One wrote the script, one wrote, wrote the book on it. The film would be picked up by 20th Century Fox with plans for it to be a B-movie family film. And they would quickly change the name of the script to The Big Heart. So it's only human to The Big Heart. Title change one. (laughs) Uh, Daryl Zanuck, who was the head of 20th Century Fox, assigned actress Maureen O'Hara to star in the film. Uh, Irish-born actress O'Hara had been working in England during the 1930s after being discovered by famed actor Charles Lawton after he saw her in a screen test. Uh, She would soon begin appearing in several Lawton-starring films, including Jamaica Inn, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, and she would travel to Hollywood to work with Lawton on The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which was released in 1939. We talked about very briefly 
on our Patreon episode mm-hmm. on Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. She would receive pra- praise for her role. And once World War II broke out in Europe, Lawton realized he could no longer work in London for the foreseeable future. So he sold O'Hara's contract to RKO, which O'Hara would later say broke her heart when that happened. And she would have to stay in America and make movies in Hollywood. O'Hara's popularity would soon rise, and she would actually star in John Ford's How My How Green Was My Valley in 1941, which won Best Picture, and would be the first collaboration between O'Hara and Ford, a partnership that would span 20 years and five films. For the next five years, uh, O'Hara would star in lavish Technicolor films, giving her the nickname mm-hmm. The Queen of Technicolor, <laughs> a nickname that O'Hara hated because she felt it meant only people cared about how beautiful she looked in color and not her acting abilities. Now, after growing tired of Hollywood, she decided to take a break from working and return to Ireland for the first time since World War II broke out. And not long after arriving in Ireland, apparently like like days, if not less, she received a telegram from Daryl Zanuck demanding her to return to America to star in the movie The Big Heart. Needless to say, O'Hara was furious about this demand. She said, because I didn't know what the script was. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know anything except I was ordered by my boss to be back in New York. She said once she read the script, which I think she might have read it in Ireland or when she returned back to America. But either way, when she read it, she said she wasn't that mad at all now because she enjoyed the script so much. For the role of Susan Walker, they would cast young Natalie Wood. Mm-hmm. Wood would be had been a few small roles up to this point, only having starred acting in 1943. Her mother was the quintessential stage mother, uh, and she <laughs> and she wished she had become a famous actress. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. read I read Natalie Wood's book, which I, I quote from a little bit in this in this uh, kind of story of the 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 episode here. Her mother was a trip, like just was was completely involved in everything Natalie Wood did. Um, so her mom put all of her hopes and dreams into Wood's career. Uh, for the audition, her mother made her imitate Margaret O'Brien, who was one of the more popular actresses at the time, child actress at that point. Uh, Natalie's mother darkened Natalie's hair and put her in pigtails so she looked just like Margaret O'Brien. When Wood would later tell O'Brien years later that, that, they, that she did this, O'Brien said that millions of girls would try imitating her, but it was Natalie who did it the best. John Payne was cast in the role of Fred Gailey, the attorney uh, in the movie uh, and, and, mm-hmm. and love interest of, of Doris Walker. He had actually recently starred opposite O'Hara in 1946, a movie called Sentimental Journey. Film historian Janine uh, Basinger stated that Fox viewed Payne as like a secondary Tyrone power and they weren't sure what to do with him. Uh, not long after the release of Miracle on 34th Street, he would actually be released from his contract because he'd been begging them to release him for months because he felt like they didn't know what he would what they were doing with him. Uh, Payne actually started opposite Tyrone Power a year before in the Razor's Edge, uh, not long after Payne had returned from serving as a flight instructor in the Army during World War II. One weird coincidence, one of his daughters, Julie, uh, we recently talked about on our Chinatown episode because she was dating and later married Robert Town, and she helped him with research on Chinatown. There you go. Didn't know that. Uh, for the role of Chris Kringle, Edmund Gwynn was cast in the role. Uh, an English-born actor had moved to America in 1940, which I feel, again, probably because of the war raging in Europe. Yep. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of actors from this period moved to America during this time. Uh, before leaving England, however, uh, Edmund appeared in Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent. Mm-hmm. He would actually appear in four Hitchcock movies over his career. 
Um, so with the cast in place, Thomas, production would officially start in New York in November 1946, but we'll dive into that after uh, we talk about our favorite scenes. So, Thomas, what's one of your favorite scenes in Miracle on 34th Street? I love the Macy's yeah, scene. It's great. I think it's such a great establishing scene, even if, if you count kind of all the way up into uh, Mr. Gailey's apartment, you you get everyone I think so well immediately. Yeah. Um, and I, I love the, uh, I love the drunk Santa <laughs> guys got to do something to keep warm. I was actually kind of shot. I mean, I know it's like, there's something about like Hollywood at this period where you're like, you almost get sh- your surprise when they do something like just that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Oh, we have a drunk Santa. <laughs> it's also like, you know, uh, and I'm sure he's, it just hit me watching it this time. You know, they have to line up for the Macy's parade at like 5 a.m. So that guy was is definitely just drunk from the night before. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta keep warm. Yeah. Um uh yeah, it's it's uh yeah, the Macy's Days parade stuff is great. Um and also I just think about nowadays, like we'll talk about this a little bit later, but like if you actually try to shoot the Macy's Day parade nowadays <laughs> what that would be like uh to do that'd be kind of insane I don't, I don't know if they did that with the remake i assume they probably did i'll have to look that up mm-hmm. if they actually shot the macy's day parade or not i just remember the guy the santa's pants fall off in the oh and the, in the remake so he is drunk in the remake as well yeah yeah, yeah. he okay. like flat he like moons everybody <laughs> as he's like changing out uh such a such a john um, moment because john hughes wrote that one <laughs> wrote but, that one but it's um yeah it's great you get you get you know Mrs. Walker immediately mm-hmm. like you understand where she's coming from like Christmas is her job she doesn't romanticize it or fantasize it in in any way it is it is Christmas's work for her yeah and then um it's such a great intro to Susan and I think it, and and Gailey and you know the giant stuff and yeah. and you know there's no such thing as giants and she doesn't know who Jack and the Beanstalk are. And then I think that that whole scene is just topped off so well with the, um, you know, we've got such a big turkey for Thanksgiving. Can't Mr. Gailey come? And then she says, did I ask did right? I ask right. Then, <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down too. She's, she's so good. Just off the start. You're like, yeah. this is, she's, she is, she is cute. She's, you know, precocious. Yeah. She's, uh, that the way she like scrunches up her nose whenever she's skeptical of something is, yeah. is so good. Yeah, I mean, the cast overall is just is fantastic. They have great chemistry, I think. Um, like I said, I love that scene. Um, I love when Susie meets Santa uh, mm-hmm. for the first time. Um, and then you had the you had the beard pool. Um, mm-hmm. And also with Ed Gwynn, like, uh, um, or Edmund Gwynn, is that, like, he... I, I love the opening when he goes up to the, uh, the guy in the window. He's like, hey... You have you have Blitzen in the wrong place or whatever. He should be there, and you're just like this guy's kind of crazy. Like you're, <laughs> that, that, uh, Seton talked about that how like he won that's to kind of establish like wait is he crazy or is he like is he actually Santa? Like what's the what's the thing? Um, he wants to kind of like kind of constantly questioning that like, um, but I think that's we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, I think we t- did we talk about this in like faith based movies that aren't like faith based. I can't remember if we did or not. But talk about this one. This one. Because I remember, because the whole movie deals with like faith in a weird way, uh, or yeah, well, and way. you know, 
the we can talk about it later. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. that's something big in the remake. The remake. We might have brought up the remake we actually we, when we were talking that about might have been it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this one has um, a lot to do with, like it's about like because that's kind of a reoccurring thing. Talk about faith and like having faith in things you can't see, um, mm-hmm. and letting it kind of just ha- like letting it happen, not questioning it. Um, but I I think watching it again last night and thinking about you know that kind of moment with movies like these we talked about you know what's the you know if i'm if i'm wrapping gifts and like baking christmas cookies in the house and this is playing like what do i stop and watch like what is the one scene that i stop and watch and it's i i was thinking about it watching it this past time and it's it's the little dutch girl yep that is that is the scene for me in this movie it's Um, it's a great moment He's so good. She's so good. And yeah. she's fantastic. Yeah. And she's <laughs> actually got she's Natalie act- Wood kind of off in the corner watching. Yeah. It's great. And she's actually speaking Dutch. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, I'll tell you what I was going to say later, but I'll tell you now is that uh, there's both speaking Dutch. And what when he asks her what she wants for Christmas, she goes, I don't want anything. Uh, the I, I, I got my gift by being adopted by my new mom, is what she, tell, what she tells uh, uh, Chris. Um, which, like, you don't know, but that adds such a like a whole beautiful like <laughs> thing to the thing is that she's I know, and the mom the mom's so sweet. She's yeah. like, I just want she I just want you to know, be happy. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I I told her that you wouldn't be able to understand her, and then she's so happy, and the little girl's just like, Oh, I yeah. I knew you were gonna understand me. Yeah. And Natalie Woods again, like sort of watching like oh wow. And I love right before that, because cause basically Natalie Woods sneaks or uh Susie sneaks it back into the uh with the door it's like it's wild to have that uh kind of like a santa's cottage whatever six men to watch it but before that is when like it's it's a uh, fred that took her in and and mm-hmm. doris is like what are you doing like this is not your kid <laughs> like like you were supposed to t- bring me to her and he's like, oh i thought it wouldn't hurt she's like well you're not like this is not she's not yours like i don't want her to believe in santa now all of a sudden you have her sitting on a santa's lap like she's gonna have questions <laughs> um and she might ruin it for other kids or whatever um but that's when and she's like i had basically she decides like she wants to like fire the santa they uh, the the uh, fire chris and i love mm-hmm. this at one point was who's was it him was it her uh when she's like i speak french but i'm not joan of arc is that what she says yeah. great yeah. line um but yeah um and, and i love that like basically after all this like his whole goal is like uh to him is like he's have to he has to win the mother and like he, he's trying to bring christmas back against very much the the elf scenario mm-hmm. trying to bring christmas back and he's just like, oh like, i'm gonna use like mother and daughter of, of doris and susan as kind of like the small version of if i can if i can win them over then i can win the rest of the city over but they're yeah. like the hardest think, ones he's working for i think fred's such a good character too because it's you know what what is the very last line of this movie is is that you know this guy that he had this kind of you know his his whole thing is like why not go along with it what's the harm in it like and and so there's this scale of like believing in christmas or like christmas mm-hmm. spirit where you've got uh doris is like bah humbug you know it's all it's all commercialized it's all lost its magic for me and he's somewhere in the middle like oh come on yeah yeah it's i'm an adult i have a you know realistic view of it but 
it's still fun to like lean into for the kids and i think it says something about you know humanity to lean into it and then and so i love that kind of the final scene the final line is is oh i was also wrong about this you know (laughs) (laughs) like oh wait okay yeah it's it's kind of that it's again the constant not doubt but like what like what you have to kind of like deal with throughout like mm-hmm. making that decision um of is it real is it not real um but uh but yeah do you have another scene uh i, I was just gonna say though watching it rewatching it this time to me and, and trying to think of because you know this is i think it's easy with one of these movies that that you that i have seen so many times it would be easy for like favorite scenes to be like oh this one and this one and this yeah. one and this one. um so i was trying to think of like what really stands out to me and it's 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 the child actors in this movie because one of my other scenes is is tommy uh mm-hmm. little tommy the son of the the district attorney uh oh, when he go, when he testifying get, yeah being being subpoenaed to come to court and testify against his father i mean the trial stuff's really great i think seaton talked about how like he wrote himself into a corner with the trial kind of on purpose to like figure out like how can i get out of this but the trial stuff's just like really great. I love when they get, they bring up M- Macy and they're like, "Mr. Macy, do you believe he's Santa Claus?" And like he just his it, it's an interesting like way of like how she always thinking in his mind. And it's like the the, the newspaper saying Macy's a, Macy calls his Santa Claus a fraud, and he's just mm-hmm. like, "I don't want to do that." Um, and then but then it's like, oh, but then if I say yes, like then I have all the people coming to my store to buy stuff. Uh, yeah, I think he's Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny how they use that kind of sequence, the trial sequence, as a way to kind of like comment on a lot of different things. It feels like if it's parenting, if it's it's consumerism, if it's political gain with the with mm-hmm. the judge who's like yeah. William Frawley's like, yo, if you if you side with saying he's not Santa, then he like basically all the uh, basically no one wants to go get toys anymore, and the toy makers gonna be upset, and no one wants to get candy, and you basically ruin Christmas. As a as a as a uh, business, because you did this, he's like, you'll get two votes when you run when you Mm -hmm. run for office. You and that D.A. He's like, no, I'll just get one. The D.A.'s Republican, which I thought was a (laughs) good joke. Yeah, this is a this is a very American Christmas movie for sure, because it, it is kind of like there is a like, you know, Chris says several times like, oh, this is what I feared. This is kind of you you get the understanding like that. This is why he is like come to live, live amongst the humans is because it is Christmas has become too commercialized of late. But but uh, the message of the film is like there's still room for some commercialism. Like (laughs) it's we still like the presence. Just remember the just remember the, you know, the the good natured human spirit part of it, too. Yeah. I also love the the the, uh, the 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 kid he befriends, who's like the little the, mm-hmm. the Santa at the like uh, is the where's where's this is it the orphanage or where's at he? the Y at the Y yeah yeah um, he's 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 good he's good um, and speaking of the consumerism part I love when like Gimbal's because the whole thing is that like this Santa is like saying oh go to this store because they have they have those there and it's cheaper or whatever. And then Macy like takes that as their whole like marketing campaign of like, oh, we'll tell you to go somewhere else if we don't have the thing. <laughs> and Gimbal's is like pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why didn't we think of this first? <laughs> Using kindness. <laughs> and it's the weird thing of like how like it's like kindness gets gets them ahead in business in a, in a, in a way. 
and not just like let's just be cutthroat it's like oh if we're actually kind and nice it actually might help us out in the end um let's see what i have yeah both 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 times talking about faith uh when fred when fred when fred's trying to tell doris um about faith and how he's like trying to prove that chris is saying and she's upset with him about it and then later when like sheets when when doris takes that whole speech and tells the susie later uh now that she believes in it all um mm-hmm. two really great moments um i do love i wrote this down i love how the the basically the big ending happens because some guys wanted to pass the buck to someone else <laughs> with the yeah. letters they're just like we don't want to keep these letters anymore let's just send them to that courthouse yeah send them down i mean i mean you know it is it is it, it is about faith but it's also about kind of group think in a good way <laughs> but but you know that just this idea of like if if other people are having a good time who am i to to stop them who am i yeah. to, to to be the downer on that um yeah. which is not an unhealthy way to go about things yeah no but like, oh, like overall like i said i, I love marino O'Hara. i love natalie wooden like you said the kid acting is, is great like from all the kids um again the moment when like when is is it is it the, is the judge when like he comes is it you know and the kids are walking up and they walk past him and she's like yeah I'd be yeah his, his grandkids won't talk to him yeah and she's like i'd be upset too if you if i if i if uh because you're you're trying to put santa claus behind bars or whatever yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah Nat- natalie wood has this just great um instinct like with her like she's mm-hmm. again reading up on her it, it, i remember her kind of talking about like or someone was kind of talking about her with like at this point she's making actually she's making miracle on 34th street and then also flying back to los angeles to shoot the ghost and mrs muir i think is what it is mm-hmm. at the same exact time and so they're saying how like she's like she's almost like her because she's so young her reality and real life, or her reality and fictional life she's playing are blending together so much as a child where she's playing she's not just playing Susie in this she's playing Margaret O'Brien if she was playing Susie and then she's mm-hmm. also playing the character in Ghost of Mrs. Muir and so like she's just balancing all these different things for such a young age um so it's kind of wild of just how great she is for a kid actor to be handling all of that uh, and also shouldn't be handling all that um, <laughs> as well. But yeah, any other scenes you want to mention before we move on? Yeah, you know, just the, just the end. Yeah, you know, I yeah. do believe. I do believe. Yeah, I love again the house. I love. I love to go to the house. Stop. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I, yeah, I love all that. The the when the the ending of the trial when the believe stuff when they actually uh, and they go to the house. Uh, and and you know, there's something there's something about the kind of journey of, of fate that, that Susie takes just in the end in like coming around to fully believe in him, Mm -hmm. you know, the house not being under the Christmas tree and being like, you know, it's, it's okay. I, I, it's almost like you had to have this little test of like that. She wasn't in it for the gifts, you know, it's like, it's okay. You're just a really nice old man i i love you anyway yeah and then it's like okay well now you learned the true spirit of christmas and here's and here's the, your house as a gift yeah. <laughs> actually i still i still i still believe you're a great person but we'll just it just won't have it's not happen that easily but that's okay i'll be okay and then mm-hmm. yeah 
And then we get the house. We get the house at the end. Mm-hmm. You move out of the move out of the apartment, uh, probably on Fifth Avenue, and you go live in the suburbs of New York. Um, yeah, come on. They could have. They could. I wonder. I don't know if they if they rented or owned those apartments, but you could have like knocked some walls out. Imagine if they just owned the whole top floor of that building. Oh man, bro. What would you pick? If, if would you pick the apartment in New York or the house in the, the suburbs? apartment or living on what is it, Long Island? Where where is that? Where uh, is that? It, it, it is. It, they shot it in uh, no Port Washington, New York. And you're like, where is that? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I'm, when people talk about New York, I'm like, this is what people who aren't from LA probably feel like when we talk about like neighborhoods in LA because yeah. I don't understand. I do not understand how New York works. <laughs> It's like multiple islands. There's bridges. Like one bridge goes to like another island in New York, but if you take the wrong bridge, you're in New Jersey. But like some of New York is also in New Jersey. Like yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. It it is. I think it is on Long Island. Yeah, North Shore of Long Island, Nassau County. Yeah, give me give me the give me the penthouse. <laughs> so I can I can see the Macy's Parade every year without having to get out and like go. Yeah. Ahead. All right. Onset life. So as I said earlier, production started in New York in November because George Seaton wanted to capture the Macy's Day, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on November 28th. So he wanted to actually shoot at the parade. <laughs> Maureen O'Hara said in her autobiography, it was a mad scramble to get all the shots we needed and we got to do each scene only once. It was barely cold that day and Edmund and I envied Natalie and John who were watching the parade from a window. So they're actually down there doing it all. Uh, the film's wow. uh, the film assistant director, uh, Arthur Jacobson, said in an interview with DGA, they had nine cameras running during the Macy's Day Parade. It was Edmund Gwynn who served as the Santa for that year's parade. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And he fulfilled all the duties of most parade Santas, including addressing the crowd from the Macy's marquee after it was over. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. And all the scenes that were supposed to be at Macy's were shot at Macy's. Uh, shooting was complicated by the fact that the crew's power needs exceeded the store's electricity cap, cap capacity uh, and required additional power sources uh, they had to put in the basement of Macy's. Uh, Arthur Jacobson also said that one scene in particular in, the, in a cafeteria between Wood and Gwen, they just threw them in, into a real cafeteria line and filmed them. Um, when they shot outside in New York, it was always cold. Uh, on several days throughout filming, the cameras would literally freeze. Wow. O'Hare remembered that one day a woman who lived across the street from one of their locations let them come into her, her let her let them come into her home and keep warm during the breaks. Uh, to thank her, O'Hare would take her and her husband to a fancy New York restaurant. It's called I think Twenty One. Apparently, it was so like the 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 couple was so like oh my god, it's so fancy. The woman only like drank milk because she was so nervous and so excited. I don't. You know, <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, when Maureen O'Hare requests a special police escort for a Christmas shopping spree through Macy's, Arthur Jacobson said, I know New Yorkers, they aren't going to pay attention to you. Don't wear a bandana around your head or dark, dark sunglasses. Just be normal. So mm. she shopped around Macy's because of that. Uh, even though the film had this almost run and gun style, everyone seemed to be enjoying themselves. O'Hare spoke about this extensively in her autobiography, Tis Herself. She said, everyone felt the magic on the set, and we all knew we were, we were creating something special. She also said, each evening when we were not working, uh, Edmund Gwynn, John, and I went for a walk up Fifth Avenue. 
Natalie had to go to bed, but we didn't. <laughs> we, we stopped and window shopped at all the stores, which were beautifully decorated for the holidays. Edmund especially loved those nights and acted more like the kid who might be getting the presents instead of the Santa who would be giving them. I got such a big kick out of seeing the expressions of window dressers when they saw Edmund peering in them. I knew then that he was going to make a big splash as Santa Claus. Uh, Edmund, uh, to play Santa, actually gained 30 pounds and added fi- added five inches to his waist, which was a lot for the 5'5 <laughs> five, five actor. Uh, after, five inches? Yes. After filming Wrapped, he found it difficult to lose weight. He goes, I've been stocky all my adult life, uh, but now I just mu- I must accept the fact that I am fat. As we jokingly said. <laughs> Uh, when talking about Gwen, uh, everyone seemed to love him. O'Hara said, by the time we were halfway through the shoot, we all believed Edmund really was Santa Claus. I've never seen an actor more naturally suited for a role. Natalie Wood even believed Gwen was Santa Claus. Uh, for the beard pulling scene, Edmund Gwen improvised his reaction to the beard pull so that Natalie would be oh. surprised when he did that. Mm-hmm. I've heard some reports that the that the beard was uh, like was makeup, and that like Natalie like realized he wasn't Santa when she saw him at like a part like, like at at the end of filming without the beard. But I've also heard from several sources that he did have a beard the entire time. So, oh. so I don't know what happened with the beard. Uh, another person that everyone spoke highly of was Natalie Wood. Director George Seaton said that Wood was an instinctive had has an instinctive sense of timing and emotion. O'Hara said she treasured Wood. She said in her autobiography, I have been the mother to almost 40 children in movies, but I've always had a special place in my heart for little Natalie. She always called me Mama Maureen, and I called her Natasha, the name her parents had given her. When Natalie and I shot the scenes in Macy's, we had to do them at night because the store was full of people during the Christmas shopping shopping during the day. Natalie loved this because it meant she was allowed to stay up late. I really enjoyed this time with Natalie. We love to walk through the quiet closed store and look at all the toys and girl dresses and shoes. The day she died, I cried shamelessly. I mean, she's reminiscing about Natalie Wood in her book. As the shooting continued, the name of the film would change constantly. <laughs> when it started, it was called The Big Heart. Before that, it was It's Only Human. At one point, it was called My Heart Tells Me. My Heart Tells Me. Yeah. Meet, okay. meet me at dawn. What? <laughs> so that's when the parade starts? I guess like, so. What? I guess so. Uh, and then it finally landed on Miracle on 34th Street. There are also rumors that it was supposed to be called Christmas Miracle on 34th Street. But they didn't want Christmas in the title. And let me tell you why. And that leads us to Aftermath. So from all accounts, the studio did not believe Miracle on 34th Street would be successful. Natalie Wood said that even though she was only eight years old at the time, she remembered very clearly that they were doing so many movies at Fox and there was no high, they had no high hopes for Miracle at all. <laughs> O'Hara essentially said the same thing. Daryl Zanuck had little fate in this movie at Fox. He also wanted to hide the fact the movie takes place at Christmas. One reason uh, for that was because Fox was going to release it in June and not the Christmas months. Zanuck believed that more people go to the movies in warmer weather and they wouldn't go at Christmas time. There was also thought uh, that since these movies played for a long time in these periods, traveling from city to city, Miracle on 34th Street would hit small town theaters around Christmas time in 1947, uh, but it'd be played out of all the big cities. This is, this is uh, Robert Osborne from TCM said this. If you look at the poster, there's not a lot. There's not Christmas stuff on it, and also they did a similar thing with It's a Wonderful Life. 
where they always tried to hide the fact that it was Christmas in the mm-hmm. trailers. Fox's thoughts on the project would change once they held a preview of uh, of the film a month before its release. According to Suzanne uh, Feinstad in her biography on Natalia Wood or on Natalie Wood called Natasha, Luella Parsons, famed Hollywood gossip columnist, went to this screening and she described the audience reaction as unbelievable. She would then gush over the movie uh, in her art or in her column and praise Natalie Wood saying she was just about perfect. I think she might've said she was going to be a household name once the film came out. Hmm. The studio would quickly rush to promote the film while keeping the Christmas setting a secret. Uh, the <laughs> film, the film's trailer showed a producer roaming around the Fox lot, trying to figure out how to promote miracle on 34th street. And he just talks to different stars who said they saw the movie and thought it was great. Did you watch the trailer that I sent you? I did. I did. I did watch the trailer. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. It gave us nothing about, it gave us movie. everything. It gave you every adjective you could think of. And it also gave us absolutely nothing <laughs> about, about the movie. It's like, they talk, um, they talk to Rex Harris and he's like, Oh, it's just so great. It's so funny. Such a man's picture. I don't know if, it, if the women are going to love it, but it's just a man's picture. <laughs> and then it goes to Ann Baxter and she's like, and the guy's like, yeah, it's really funny. It's a really like funny laugh riot movie. She's like, no, it is. But like, I, I laugh, but I really, it was the, it was the cries in between. Yeah, like, it's a tearjerker. It's a yeah. tearjerker. Like, I, I think sh- women are going to love this. I don't know about men, but women are going to love this. And they talked like a young actress and she's just like, this is really great for the, like for young, for young people like me. <laughs> it's just like, who's yeah, this it for? definitely, it definitely reminds me of that poster we talked about with uh miracle and, uh, or it happened on fifth Avenue. Yeah, it was just like, yes, the, uh, Cary Grant. Fun. Yeah, fun, yeah. astonishing. Cary Grant says amazing, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like they don't really know what to do. And even like it happened on Fifth Avenue. Did that even show Christmas stuff in the poster? No. Uh, yeah. So know. it's like, and, and they're just not. They're like kind of hiding all this from people. I'm not entirely sure. Why? Why would you make a movie that's like specifically one genre and then tailor your publicity yeah. to like not tell people it's that? Yeah. I want, I want, I'm glad I'm glad no one does that anymore. No. Like picture like if you go watch like uh, Fred Claus and like just don't have anything about Santa Claus. You're just like his name's last name just Claus. That's it. That's all it is. Yeah, picture picture you're sitting down for the edgy new uh, take on Mean Girls, and they start singing in the beginning, and they sing for the rest of the movie, and, like, and you had no idea. What is the musical? Or Willy Wonka, or Color Purple. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying, eighty years later, and studios still do the same exact thing? <laughs> why did you put? Why did you spend a bunch of money to make a musical if you're not going to advertise that it's a musical? It's because basically, it's like yeah, it's actually that's a it's a good thing to bring up because like yes, yeah, at this point they're like we don't know who to target. Let's just try to target everyone, and in and turn is, not so go for the target audience. What's the timeline for this? Like, because it's the same. I I know from from uh, it happened on Fifth Avenue. This is the same year. Yes, right as as It's a Wonderful Life. It has It's a Wonderful Life already bombed at this point. Is, um, is that why they're kind of? scared of it's it it's a wonderful life i thought was for it was 46 so it came out before this so yes it already, oh, okay. it already bombed as yeah. well because it because it came out in december 46 limited and then released wide yeah, january january, january wide release 47, 47 and then uh fifth avenue was like april april march, 47. Or, march or, yeah 
And the posters for posters and and a uh, trailer for It's Wonderful Life also were like not showing Christmas. Mm-hmm. But you think they'd be like, you know, we should probably show Christmas because the one that didn't bombed. Mm-hmm. Uh. But they like saying because that, that was also released around Christmas time. But they were trying to get Oscars. Um, but yeah, they just it was just I don't, I don't know because Christmas genre is so new at this point, and a lot of movies like hadn't been set like in comparison to like nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you might have gotten one or two a year at that point, and that's why they were scared of it. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure, but. When the film would eventually be released on June 11th, 1947, it would be an instant success, with many claiming it to be a sleeper hit. Uh, others would say it was some of the best. It was one of the best films of the year. When it premiered at the Roxy in New York City, Macy's actually allowed all their employees to be off for half a day to go <laughs> see it in theaters. Go see this 90-minute advertisement for our store. <laughs> 12,000 employees at the time were, were able to take off that day to go see this. Wow. Now, picture if, like, Disney. So, you know, everyone at Disney. <laughs> Disney World's closed. Disney World's closed. Everybody's going to see Inside Out, too. Everyone go watch Wish. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what would happen. Um, uh, that Christmas, they would actually broadcast a radio version of the movie uh, with O'Hara, Gwen, Payne, and Wood all reprising their, reprising their roles uh, from your phone, 34th Street. So I think it was December 22nd, so right before Christmas. And while it was a box office success, grossing close to $3 million on a $630,000 budget, it was also a critical wow. a critical and awards hit, with many claiming it to be a Christmas classic upon release. Uh, it would receive three Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. It would lose that to Gentleman's Agreement, but as we talked about last week, it would win for Best Original Story, beating out it happened on Fifth Avenue and Edmund Gwynn would win for best actor in a supporting role hmm. by playing Chris Kringle. The film would continue to gain an audience years after it was released. Uh, John Payne, who played Fred actually hoped to do a sequel for the movie. Uh, he even took matters in his own hands by actually writing a script. Uh, Marino, oh my gosh. Marino Harrow said John really believed in it and loved it. He always wanted to do a sequel. We talked about it for years and he eventually even wrote a screenplay sequel. He was going to send it to me, but tragically died before he could get, get around to it. I never saw it, and I've often wondered what happened to it. And I think she really wanted to make a sequel as well. Um, when looking back on the film in her autobiography, she said, I am very proud to have been a part of a film that has been continually shown and loved all over the world for nearly 60 years. This is in 2004, I think. Uh, Miracle on 34th Street has endured all this time because of the special relationship of the cast and the crew the uplifting story and its message of hope and love, which steals hearts all over the world every year. I don't think I will ever tire of children asking me, are you the lady who knows Santa Claus? I always <laughs> answer. Yes, I am. What would you like me to tell him? Ooh. So with that, Thomas, what worked about miracle on 34th street? Um, you know, uh, as, as strange as the trailer is, it, <laughs> it really is like, a really weird but genre meld that works yeah there's a there's a, a nice little romance in there i think they have great chemistry mm-hmm. between the two of them i yep. think he's got great chemistry with uh with susan yeah. i think uh susan and chris have great chemistry i think everyone in the in the cast works well with each other it's yeah. got some really funny moments it's got some very sincere 
heart touching moments, it mm-hmm. turns into like a like a Court comedic courtroom, courtroom drama, drama yep. at the end, which is very fun. Um, really, like second, it's like Act Two kind of goes. At least it starts with the kind of locking him up. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then it, I I had forgotten until I watched it this time and was like really thinking about the structure of it. I was like, man, we really get to like the trial of it all pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's, I think it's a nice Christmas message and I think it's a really nice way to approach the Santa Claus story. And mm-hmm. you know, there, there's this always the, the, when you're making a Santa Claus movie, it's always like this weird, like, why don't the adults believe? And, and like, why you know how does the magic work and i kind of like the way it like doesn't even bother with it in this one it's there's never any you know he never like does anything really magic on screen like it's there's always kind of this question and then at the end the idea of like you know the ultimate christmas present for susan is is not giving her a house which doesn't happen in real life but presenting the opportunity and having created the circumstances under which she now has a family and has the opportunity to live in this house um so like i think the logic of it really works i think the structure of it works and it is very strange it shouldn't work (laughs) with as much as it tries to do genre wise but um but it does you have like a buddy comedy between like fred and chris when they're like yeah living together it's like i just want to know to santa like put his beard under the sheets or over the sheets or whatever like yeah. it's like and it's like a kid's movie like yeah. i loved it when i was a kid but yeah. it's very enjoyable as an adult mm-hmm. as like a comedy for that era like it's definitely aimed at kind of both um i mean it's i mean it's a it's a it's also like another thing we talk about is that like doris is divorced like it's not yeah. not not her husband died in the war it's like i'm divorced with a kid mm-hmm. don't like the dad is left i'm i am a independent businesswoman who is great at working and also, like, is a good parent. Like, that's the thing. Is, like, she's not even she's not even like a bad parent. She just has like specific views that she wants to teach her kids that maybe she should change, or or the the movie says she should change. I will say. Um, but yeah, I think like I said the cast is good. Like I said, the kid actors that pop up are good. So with that, did anything not work? Um, I. There's always one scene to me, especially watching it this time around. Mm -hmm. There's one scene that isn't bad, but I think you could do more with it. And that is, I like, it really dawned on me this time that like Susan and Chris don't really have that much screen time together. Together, yeah. And And it's really important, the screen time that they do have together. And it's always... Uh, it's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way that like the bubble gun scene feels out of place. It yeah. has no like emotional resonance to it at yeah. all. And not to say that like you can't have a scene that's a joke, and, but like, you know, yeah. the, like him teaching her how to be a monkey is funny, yeah. but it also is like, Oh, he's, he's teaching her imagination or yeah. whatever. And the way that one is just kind of like, they're hanging out. He, I think that's when she shows him the, the picture of the house. Yes. Um, but then to like it, it's it's capped on such a neat little like wrapped up on such a neat little punchline yeah. and the and the hard cut to him picking the the gum out of his beard. I'm always like, ah, I feel like they could have done something better here. Yeah, I think that I also think we need more between Chris and Doris. 
mm. like saints. Because mm-hmm. I actually had to rewind it when like because when Chris is because we didn't talk about when Chris gets sent to Bellevue, uh, and I do have the same when when him and him and Fred are together, and he's like, yeah, I failed my own exam on purpose. Um, I wish that um, when he's like when he's getting taken to Bellevue, he was like, oh, does she know? And I, oh, it was her idea. And so the idea is that he feels betrayed by it. But I was like, okay, well, let me look back at all the scenes they've had. Because I was like, did I miss a, scene, a few scenes? And I was like, no, they really don't have any scenes. So I'm not sure, like, why he's, like, shocked that she that she might have done this, even if she didn't. And she's also, like, distraught that they're doing this to him. But we didn't really see them, like, build a relationship as much as they could have in that, mm-hmm. in that middle section. And so they spend a lot of time a little bit with the Susie stuff and the Fred stuff. But he's not, she, he's not really, like, having a lot of moments with Doris to where Doris can hear, can hear his side of stuff and then vice versa. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Unless I'm, unless I'm misremembering, but I, I rewound it. <laughs> I, I was like, I rewound it on Disney plus like, wait, are there scenes here that I'm just like, I, for, I just wasn't, I wasn't paying attention to or I missed. And I was like, no, there's really not the, anything big. Cause I was like, when I went back to the bubble gum scene and all that. So I just need a little bit. Yeah. More but you know, it's not so much Doris believing in him as it's Doris believing in, in Fred, uh, Yes, that's that is that's important that's fair. And for her. It's it's believing in in the goodness of others in general and specifically gaily that you know yeah. opening herself up again. Yeah. All right. Film facts. So the house shown at the end of the film is still there in Port Washington, oh New gosh. York. I looked it up. It's still there. It looks the exact same. <laughs> it's like it's more like overgrown with gardens. Um. Uh. Yeah. So ch- check it out if you can. It's still there. Um. Uh, in 1985, it became one of the first full-length black-and-white films to be colorized, which gained a lot of controversy and hate, including from Maureen O'Hara. Um, so there's that. Uh, while it, while today it's common to see New York as a backdrop in movies, it was pretty rare in the 1940s. It was only the second movie, movie from 20th Century Fox to be shot on location in New York City. Uh, the ta- the Catholic lead- Legion of Decency gave the movie a B, saying it's morally objectionable, objectionable, objectionable in parts, and that was because O'Hara is portrayed as a divorcee in the movie. Yeah. Oh. oh wow. Yeah. Thanks, guys. The the window designs shown in the movie were custom made for the for the for the film. Uh, once filming wrapped, they were sold to FAO Schwartz Schwartz uh, Schwartz. Um, I'm, I pronounced that right. Schwartz. 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 R.I.P. Did they, they closed down, but then they open back up again, but then I feel like they closed down again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I'm going to look that up. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jeff Bezos. You ruined you ruined toy stores. Uh, it's a brand. It's an American toy brand store. The company is known... Uh, there, there are four locations? Oh, wow. I think is what I'm reading. Um, Maybe more. I, I'm reading... Uh, uh, yeah, no, more. A new one was open on Rockefeller and 30 Rock on November 2018. Uh, there were four more open in 2019. I think there's one in Milan now. So it's New York, Chicago, Beijing, London, Dublin, and Milan. Wow, swanky. Someone tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, left Who left them on display for years, the Fifth Avenue flagship location for the close. Eventually, the toy, the toy company sold the displays to Marshall and Ilsley. Ilsley Bank of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where they're presented every December in the bank's lobby on Northwater Street. So if you're in Milwaukee, 
uh, our, our loyal followers there, go see the uh, custom-made uh, windows designs from Miracle on 34th Street. Um, there's, a, there's a line in this movie where the doctor... They're, they're talking to the doctor about like the, the guy who was at the, the the retirement home or whatever. And he's talking about like him believing to be Chris King, Chris Kringle of Santa Claus. He mentions a Russian prince who owns a restaurant in Hollywood. Did you catch this line? It's a weird line where the doctor's like, yeah, it's kind of like that Russian prince. The guy, oh, the guy yes. Plays. Yes. And I said, that has to be a real story. The way that mm. line is said, that has to be a real thing that was like in the news at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was. This man's name is Michael Romanoff. That's what he changed his name to. His real name was, he was born Herschel Gaguzin, uh, changed, changed to Harry F. Gergensen, um, and became Michael Romanoff, was a Hollywood restaurateur, con man, an actor born in Lithuania. Uh, he owns a restaurant called Romanoff's that was hugely popular in the 1940s and 50s with Hollywood stars. He claimed to be a member of Russia's Royal House of Romanov. Uh, oh, of course he did. And then that they proved later that was untrue. Yeah. Uh, but he passed away at the age of eighty-one in L.A. But yeah, he apparently had a big restaurant. I think two restaurants actually for two for two decades in Hollywood. And it was a big place. He had a specific uh, uh, noodles Romanov, which was a beef stroganoff dish that he made specifically for his restaurant. Uh, it closed in 1962. In 1999, the iconic department store Macy's based its annual flagship uh, Herald Square window display on the movie. It used mechanical style props in the 60s to create a vintage, authentic feel. And they say they would it, they, or the person who was doing it thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool to say goodbye to this century the way they said goodbye to the last century? Um, what better way to do this is to use uh, Miracle on 34th Street as kind of the cornerstone of it all. And so they actually had Marino Harrow show up to unveil the uh, Windows design they did for 1999 for uh, this. She says, I know John Payne, Natalie Wood, and Chris K- Kringle are up in heaven looking down at us and smiling, she said. Uh, in the 1970s, Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner, Wagner were asked they'd be interested in having their daughter, Natasha Wagner, star in a TV remake of Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, she would have played the same role as her mother did all those years ago. Probably, if I had to guess, probably would have had like Natalie Wood play the mom and maybe Wagner play Fred, but Natalie Wood said no. Here's the here's the best piece of trivia in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Macy's and Gimbel's didn't consent to having their names in the movie until filming was completed. Studio executives they would need to per- get permission from the stores to use their names but didn't want either store to see or comment on the movie before it was completed. So basically they showed them a cut, the, the final cut of it. And if Macy's and or, and or Gimbel said, we don't want our name in this, they'd have to like reshoot or re-edit the film to take Macy's and Gimbel's out of the storyline. If that happened, have no clue how that would happen. <laughs> I don't know how it would happen. Like, how do you take May? I see taking Gimbel's out of this. How do you mm-hmm. take Macy's I have out, no idea. out of the story? The guy's oh, like, this random Thanksgiving parade through the middle of New York. Yeah, 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 it's Thanksgiving parade. Going to the department store that we named Lacey's. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So with that, let's move on to awards. So Thomas, the Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actress, one of the scenes that kills it. It's a little Dutch girl. Okay. What's her, what's her name? I wonder what her name is. Um, Close runner up, little Tommy. Little the, Tommy. The, 
the junior district attorney. Let's see, Dutch girl. Don't forget a real football helmet. <laughs> Marlene Leiden was her name. Um, if I had to guess, she probably does not have many more credits on IMDb. Oh, she, she, she this is her, her, her acting debut. She would act in a few like TV shows or uncredited performances uh, until 1952 before retiring. She would pass away in 2007 at the age of 68 in Las Vegas, Nevada. But she's really good in this. I don't know if she was Dutch. Uh, if she wasn't, uh, she had a great... No, she wasn't. She was from California. She had a great... She learned it great. Hmm. So Marlene Leiden for the Dutch girl. Be it straight. All right. Next, we have Annie Potts X Factor Award Supporting Actor, Actress as the Most Memorable. Uh, who do, who do we count here? Uh... I would count Natalie Wood here. Okay, then it's Natalie Wood. I don't know if I would count Edmund Gwyn, Gwyn here. I think he's he, more lead. I did notice he's he's he's, he's listed he's, in the second page of credits. Hmm. It's just it's just the the romantic leads that come before the title. What do you think? Because he he what and he was awarded best supporting actor, not best lead. Yeah, I'll give it to him. Okay, so, so God, that's a tough race. It is a tough race. Well, because the question is, okay, so we're we're going to Edmund Gwen for for best for supporting Annie, actor. Annie Potts. Okay, Gene Hackman's going to be interesting, Thomas. Uh, the Gene Hackman MVP award, person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. Natalie Wood. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's got to go the other way. Like if Natalie Wood doesn't win this, <laughs> she's got to win Hackman. Is what I think it has to be. But yeah, so what? So what's, um, what's your yeah. what's your case? What's your case for Wood? in this I, I think i think you know it launched her career i think she's yeah. the most memorable thing about the movie i think I, I every time i come back to it i am surprised as many times as i've seen it, every time i come back to it i'm surprised at how l- n- less screen time susan has than i think that she does yeah, because that's true. That's she true. is the the she is the highlight of, of this movie mm-hmm yeah, again, it's a weird mashup of stuff that like it is a family film in the middle of all these different things, but she's kind of the heart of it all. And he's great. Gwen's great, great in it. But like you said, because it's like as a child actor, she's just so memorable and like you kind of can't take your eyes off of her when she's on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's everything so natural from her as a child. I mean, I, I'm a, like, even if she grows up, I think it's that way with her as well. I think she's has such an interesting uh performance style in the 60s when she and even in the 50s too uh even though i don't don't fully love rebel without a cause i like her in rebel without a cause Mm -hmm. um i think but her 60s stuff with splinter in the grass which we talked about on the show before uh with west side story with uh inside daisy clover uh bob and carol and ted and alice like she just has a really great decade um and one of the one of the first ones to really transition to make that make that transitional jump from a uh, uh, child actor to teen actor, then to adult actor. That's like forget just child actor to adult actor. It was like child adult. Like she had the the big transition from just a eight year old child to in her forties. Mm-hmm. And she, and she, but she's great here. But I also do love Maureen O'Hara in this. O- O'Hara is I think really yes. good. Uh, I love so, I love Maureen O'Hara in general. I had to look up when I was watching it this time because I was like I like we when I was a kid we also loved the uh, original Parent Trap. 
mm-hmm. and uh you know mcclintock and i was like when were those like this is 47 which like she's not old in the parent trap no and so i was like how old was she in this she's like 27 in this yeah well so she got uh, disco- yeah she got discovered by lawton when she was like 17 or 18 mm-hmm. like she started off in theater when she was 17 i think got into movies when she was like 18 19 like she she just passed she's, she she's pa- great. she passed away in 2015 at 95 years old. Yeah, she old. used to she yeah. there were a couple of times Os- Robert Osborne had her on Turner Classic Movies when she yeah. was older. She'd come on and like sit down with him and and intro her movies. I I remember seeing her yeah. several times in like like probably like 2010 and being like, "Oh my god, she's still alive?" Yeah, I want to I want to dive more look more at at her stuff because she uh she passed away in 2015 in Boise, Idaho. Hmm because she she apparently moved there with her grandson um after i think it was like i read that she she was a victim of elder abuse i don't know who did it she was elder abuse and was suffering from short-term memory loss and so she flew to idaho and lived with her grandson until she passed away in 2015 uh her last public appearance was in 2013 uh at uh at the 2013 John Wayne birthday celebration tribute to Maureen O'Hara in Iowa. Um, Cause it was apparently uh, that's where John Wayne was born. They're having a museum for him or something there. And they had hmm. her show up and do an appearance at 2013. Um, yeah. I want to look more into her. It looks like she, she won an Oscar for a lifetime achievement award in 2014. So yeah, but, but Maureen O'Hara, Natalie Wood, Natalie Wood takes it. All right, final questions from Miracle on 34th Street, Thomas. Mm-hmm. If you're casting another, we didn't talk about the remake, really. Yes, uh, but if you're casting, I do, love the, I, I do love the remake. Yeah, and God we trust, right? That's what that's what it is at the end. Yeah, yeah. If if we can, if the government will recognize God on a on the dollar bill, then then you know why can it not? If if it can basically make faith official then why can can we not make santa official yeah why can why can we not acknowledge that some people truly believe in santa claus which is better the in god we trust or the uh the letters post office, i think the post office okay. one's better they I, I feel like that that's that's probably my least favorite part of the remake that and that they make like like the bad guy is like gimbals which feels so like it's like it's like executives from gimbals are the ones who like goad chris into attacking someone and i'm like that that feels it, i get that this is a kids movie but like it's like us versus them feels yeah. so simplistic when it's like it can just be a disgruntled employee of the same company it doesn't have to be like macy's good gimbal's bad yeah. <laughs> it's just like and i had like a, a on-site doctor or therapist they that make that a bad the bad character in that. yeah i guess i guess that had gone out of style by yeah. that point now mm-hmm. we just don't offer people therapy at all. So there you go. <laughs> easy fix. Easy fix. <laughs> we can't have them fire our good Santa Claus. If we don't have a therapist. So let's just not get at, let's just not have them. Um, all right. So who would you cat? If you had to remake it today, Thomas. Oh man. I, this, I don't cast? know any kid actors. This is tough. Who's, you don't who's have to a kid, a kid actor? actor? You don't have to do a kid actor. Do the other ones. They're all grown up now. Like I could say like, Oh, I, I, I love McKenna Grace. She was great, but she's like 15. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you love the girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's now like fifteen as well now. Yep. She yeah, she was in uh Fablemans. Um Yeah, I don't know. I, 
I don't know the kid at all. Who would be yeah, who'd yeah, be Santa do, Claus these days? Don't the kid. Um, Paul Giamatti, he's back. That's I, I feel like I, we keep casting him and stuff now. It's funny. He's like, Santa Claus again. We keep, he's already done it once. I've done it once to do it twice. Um, let me see. I want to see with that. Everybody's Santa Claus right now. All these movies. All these movies are. But it's not Tim Allen. I don't cast Tim Allen. David Harbour's done it before as well. Like. <laughs> Toby Jones. Toby Jones. Okay. I like that. I like Toby Jones. Yeah, I like Toby Jones too. A little, little bit smaller Santa Claus, you know? Um, I'll, I'll accept that. I'll accept that. So we got Toby Jones and Santa Claus. Who's late twenties divorcee. Cause that's, yeah. <laughs> cause that's, oh, that's, you a, can't re- play, that's, you that's a real, that's a real thing. For like, there is no one who is like 27 and plays 27 on screen that, no, you know, no. we've, we've fallen into this, well, this it was, it was like, hole I'm, now of if you're 27, you're on Riverdale. Um, yeah, it's like, I, I like tick, tick, boom was like, uh, I was like, Andrew Garfield's playing 30 and he was like 38 at the time. <laughs> and I bought it. I totally <laughs> bought it. I, was like, yeah. I guess you could also, you know, t- today you could be very, you know, it's probably more, un, you know, it's probably more realistic to be divorced 35 with a six-year-old. six-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm looking, I'm looking. Elizabeth Olsen. I'm trying to think of like, okay. Cause of, of O'Hara was in a bunch of like action, like the swashbucklers or whatever. And like technical stuff. I was like, who's in like Marvel stuff. I was like, that, that's, that's kind of your modern day version that who's in that, that. Mm-hmm she's 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 very charming and she only does like genre stuff so yeah i would i would like to see her get to do something nice yeah it's been a bit yeah it's been a bit okay and then for the guy uh adam brody is that is that we'll do we'll do <laughs> brody what's the h gap here oh, that's a great question he's, he's, i mean we could go that's a classic hollywood Actually, that's probably a realistic age gap about 10 years yeah, he's forty three. She's like a little bit older she, than me, I think. She, right? She's thirty four. Yeah. Or, yeah. or that's probably what it was in the in the movie. Yeah. Or or you do a uh, Leighton Meester. I do. I I, I love Leighton Meester. Uh, sorry, Leighton Meester. Sorry. I this this is what happens when you don't hear the name out loud. You just like butcher it. I just I literally just saw someone tweet the other day. It was like the cruelest joke of Gossip Girl was Leighton Meester being the best actor and having like the, the worst, worst career. career I read the same exact tweet, Thomas. Our, <laughs> feed, our feeds are wild. How they're so similar. It's because she she got out of it and she immediately said, "I want to do comedy," and and it yeah. was just like, no, know, I actually like, okay. liked her on Single Parents. That was where I because yeah. I didn't watch Gossip Girl, so literally I found her on Single Parents and I was like, oh, she's really good. Before Single Parents, she did like a half a season of this show called Making History that was fantastic. Mm. And um, it got canceled very quickly. But um, she was great on that, too. Yeah. So so are we doing that? We're just going to like, we're, we'll cast. Yeah, the give actual, her another shot. Cast the actual couple. Uh, so Leighton Meester and Adam Brody. With Toby Jones. Let's go. OK. I. Th- this is with the my stamp of this has been remade twice and we or once and we don't really need to do it again but you know there we go we're not actually the only reason this. the only reason that movie was remade was because that little matilda girl was was, so was there it was, it was, so, it was, so, it was so good at that moment <laughs>
Uh, everybody was like we've got her we need to put her in like a what's a kid star vehicle and they were like oh well, the dude from dude from jurassic parks around he kind of looks like santa claus let's let's make her let's remake this give, give me yeah give me dylan mcdermott <laughs> I'm, I'm a big elizabeth perkins guy i love elizabeth perkins so um, well she actually hadn't done matilda yet that was before that matilda was before, before matilda so it's, wow. it's post mrs doubtfire which so that checks out. Mrs. Doubtfire and Jurassic Park, both 93. And then 94, mm-hmm. like, yo, we got to get these two together. I got this perfect <laughs> idea. We got a we got a great old man and a great little girl right now. Let's go. Because, like, Matilda, it's like Matilda, and then she does a simple wish with Martin Short. Oh, yeah. Ever see that? I watched that. Too. I did see that one. I yep. watched that too many times growing up, and I don't know why. But that's that was kind of her run. It's like Mrs. Doubtfire, Miracle on 34th Street, Matilda, Simple Wish. And then she's, oh, and that Thomas the Tank Engine uh movie she, she was did. in the thomas the tank engine movie yeah thomas the magical railroad yeah i remember that oh yeah i remember she was in that that was her last one last hmm. yeah last but in the red yeah she's done some uh uh um voice work since then she was in bojack for four episodes hmm. and then big hero six and then a couple like web series type stuff anyway but yeah Toby Jones, Leighton Meester, and Adam Brody. Do they, sure. have, do they have a kid. <laughs> their kid in there. <laughs> they have two kids. There you go. If one of the age is right, maybe maybe we'll do that. Um, <laughs> they have a daughter. That's weird. That kid looks a lot like Adam Brody <laughs> in this movie. Um, or maybe they're they're like getting a divorce and Christmas brings them back together. Is it that? Is oh, that... that's an entirely new movie. Hey, it'd be a good movie. You never know. All right. Uh, um, next, does this film fit with any other genres? We talked about how it's a mashup of all these different genres. So yes, yeah, it fits in like a lot of genres, but it is by far a New York retail Christmas movie. Yeah. So it's a retail movie. It's a courtroom drama. <laughs> It's a it's a kind of a rom com. It's just a um It's a it's a divorce. It's a getting over a divorce over as a divorce. family movie. And they never talk about that. They're just like, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> like he just basically yeah. bounced. That he is that is so that if you think about that, that is like this maybe the second conversation these two have had, and she's got that moment she's talking about like Prince Charming and then he and then he rides away and, and Kaylee's got that line where he's like, I thought we were talking about Susan, not about you. And it's like, whoa, Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) we're coming in strong, baby, with this. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. What did they talk about at Thanksgiving dinner? That's like the the only time they've hung off off screen, I think. Let's have some dinner. Um, Yeah. And then I'm trying to think. Yeah. Yeah. But those are kind of it's a a lot of different things. But buddy movie between Chris and Fred for a little bit. (laughs) Um, a weird political subplot with William Frawley like controlling the judge. When it has this like weird Mr. Miss or Mr. not Mr. Mr. Smith goes to Washington, Mr. Smith goes to Washington vibe mm-hmm. a little bit at that point. Um on a smaller scale. And then how does this film fit within the genre of New York Christmas movies, Thomas? Uh you know, it's one of the it's one of the tops. It's one of the classics. I think it is. It is one. Like I said, it, it's it's kind of it kind of sits himself. It's it sits itself outside of like Santa movies and yeah. outside of the Christmas Carol movies. Mm-hmm. It, it so it is like very unique. 
in in that it, it is its own thing it's not kind of it's not supernatural and in any way even though it is a santa movie mm-hmm. it's very like grounded for a like children's santa movie but it's it is all about the spirit of christmas and goodwill and buying presents and and everything that you want a christmas movie to be there you go um and then final genre questions since we're ending our main series new york christmas stuff thomas what are some movies we didn't talk about Mm -hmm. that you want to shout out here you know one that that came across my mind the other day and this is another one that i loved when i was a kid is um and i i don't know uh, this is one i've never i've never looked into if if did people not like this movie do people not like this movie i love the john houston annie movie people don't like that movie i feel like but i i they like, don't like that movie i like I, I thought so i i I, um, think, I think it's a mix i think it's a mix i think it's like let me see where's that in our box let me see it's a 3.3 so i mean i haven't i haven't haven't revisited it since i was a kid some people love it some people hate it i i liked it growing up great cast yeah i when i was a kid i loved that movie yeah um i was just thinking about it uh my wife and i saw annie in atlanta this weekend and we were coming out of it i was like man i forgot how much i watched that movie when i was a kid and i was also like just talking about i very rarely is there a role that is you know the show that is done so often so mm-hmm. continuously in that any time i've ever seen anyone play mrs hannigan they are just doing Kill carol burnett, burnett. <laughs> yeah um it's like you can't do anything else with that role you just have to people want your version of carol burnett when you play mm-hmm. that character um but it is a, it is a nice little new york christmas movie you got your nyc uh, and it and it's kind of about the the charms of of New York, even when it's cold outside and people have nowhere to go, and mm-hmm. we're gonna get a new deal new deal for Christmas and whatnot. Um, oh, that is the song. That is the song. <laughs> I, I don't remember, yeah. I don't remember it being at Christmas though in the movie. Yeah, they invite the because um, they invite the little girls over for for Christmas at the end. That's what they're like decorating the. Is that the? Is that the? Musical am I thinking the, of the? Think of the am musical. I thinking of the the ABC? Uh, I think so. Because I also used to like the ABC one. I think you might be because I'm reading it's like in the stage musical it is Christmas. When it's, it is it is Christmas in one of the two of them. Let's see. You know what? I got no shame. Shout out Alan <laughs> Cumming in the in the made for TV. Alan so Cumming let's just go, and yeah, let's go uh, with that one instead. <laughs> Tim Tim uh, Tim Curry. In the original, in the one. original, yeah, great. And Ryan King, let's see, and, 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 Bernadette and, Peters, Bernadette Peters, Albert Finney. <laughs> I, and I do think you're talking about the ABC version. <laughs> All right, well, you know what? If we're gonna talk about <laughs> ABC made-for-TV Christmas movies, I friggin' love Eloise at the Plaza. <laughs> Eloise at Christmas time or Eloise at the Plaza? The Christmas time okay, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's got a three point seven on letterbox. Jesus. That was great. We taped we taped it off a of TV. We used to watch it all the time. Um that's a very New York one. There you go. Yeah. They go to Central Park in that. She she lives at the plaza. I might have to watch that this this Christmas. 
yeah it's, it's really it's, charming it's, it's, I'm, it's, I'm surprised that's not one that like abc like polishes off and, and runs again at christmas time is it, it even on disney plus who knows it is not it is on amazon prime <sighs> oh weird stuff over there like the like get that batman one that for from th- batman through warner brothers being on prime make and now on max so weird to me but yeah, that little girl. The little girl is very charming in it, and Julie, um, Julie Andrews you know, I'm not. Yeah, I'm never gonna say anything bad about Julie Andrews. So. Yeah. Um. One. One that uh, I just I actually watched last night to prep for this kind of was Scrooged. We haven't talked about Scrooge yes. on this podcast, and that's one I, that was I was contemplating if we did another week. Uh, Scrooge was be up there. Um. Carol as well. Carol with uh, by Todd Haynes. Oh yeah. Um. I I was I was I was that was when i was also like can i sneak it in here like the last week and is it possible but because i was like i, I texted david i was like david do you do you like carol and he was just like not really i was like okay then we won't <laughs> yeah it's fine not throwing under the bus right there he was like i it was just good he said i love like everyone else did um but uh but yeah carol's up there scrooged um i mean we talked about it on our john hughes stuff but like home alone 2 lost new york is a is a Mm-hmm. fun one um uh i feel like i might have liked it more than the original one which is saying something when nah, I was, see i'm not a i'm a i'm a home alone one, one purist mm-hmm. but um but you know to each their own yeah each their own. uh ghostbusters 2 near christmas. christmas and ghostbusters 2 it's actually it starts off around christmas but it ends at new year's eve oh it's a new year's yeah. more of a new year's eve movie but yeah ghostbusters 2 it's <laughs> up there um all right and then what is something that you what's what do you what did you learn in this month thomas you know it's it's just the kind of what we've come away with is this idea that like like new york at christmas time is always this this flux of like the new york and new york spirit and and the inundation of of christmas decorations and everything and and somehow it's meant to like get you to this neutral middle ground where you mm. where you have goodwill toward men for a couple of of weeks <laughs> uh so yeah i think it's it's funny that we in this period of of hallmark and and lifetime christmas movies where it's very cheap to shoot in the middle of nowhere uh and this the lesson of all of those has become leave new york and come to a small town uh we we really don't see we really don't see these anymore so um there's there's one that i really love that we we are talking about on our patreon Mm -hmm. so any any patreon uh subscribers out there will know but it feels like it's really the last one in recent memory i can think of that was like a good new york uh christmas movie there was that Zoe Deutsch one last I was, year. I, I literally I, have it up in my letter box right now. Yeah. Eh, yeah. I, look, she's good. <laughs> she's good. I'll watch her in anything. She's very. They took a very talented, charming person and put them in a lifetime level script okay. and said, you know what? Yeah, it's, it kind of works. Um, but yeah, I would like to see more of these because I think it is a really interesting. I, I think it's very easy to say oh i'm getting out of the hustle and bustle of the city and wow i came to this little town and this hot guy runs a christmas tree farm and i'm gonna go have hot cocoa at this local bakery and like that's that's easy that's that's pre-written for you but i love the idea of of kind of the juxtaposition of new york or the the constant conflict of like new york spirit versus christmas spirit and like how how is that going to work out yeah 
was spirited in New York as well. Spirited. I have it on this list. I want to say it was like Chicago or something for okay. some reason. I okay. saw it. I watched okay. it last so, year. So, it, it, it did not feel like he was he was a big businessman, but it didn't feel. I mean, they shot it in. I think they they shot it in Boston, but I don't know that it was set in Boston. I'll have to look it uh, up this year. I, I haven't watched it, so I didn't know. But it was on a list no, somewhere. It was fine. It was on a list somewhere. It was fine. It was fun. It was a fun little Christmas movie. Um. Also, very briefly, it's not fully Christmas, but Trading Places. That's another one I would like. We would mm, I want to talk about at some yep. point. Um. Yeah. I. I. Well, I kind of learned again looking into like like American history weirdly and like how it connects to like if it's World War Two and and kind of the the like how the the post world after that post America after that and how it's somehow tied to it. Um, with Elf, with kind of tied to 9-11 and how New York is used as this symbol um, of America, basically. And as I said like, earlier, like the entry and extra, extra, entry and exit point for if it's soldiers, if it's immigrants. Um, so kind of Christmas is like, I guess there's that version of the down home Christmas is America. But also like there's also New York Christmas is kind of the extravagant version um of it all um but you have that mixture of like consumerism versus just like loving the meaning of christmas um it's constantly battling and how how do you make christmas really strong as you put it in this like cynical place or what people assume is a cynical place like new york and we make people mm-hmm. happy um but yeah like i said the america the america stuff i'm always fascinated by how how movies uh, specifically like kind of American genres tie so much to the history and culture of America. And I think this weirdly does it really well. This, this, uh, this genre. So yeah, I think that's it on America on 34th street times. That's it on New York Christmas for the main show. Uh, if you haven't listened to our Patreons, I don't know when they're coming out yet, but we're doing Thomas and I are doing the night before, uh, like Thomas mentioned. And then Dave and I are doing serendipity with John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. Uh, I'm here. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be there talking about the, the peak John Cusack era. I was talking to David last night. I was just like, man, John Cusack, when he was on, <laughs> he was like just firing on all cylinders of charisma. Like even in bad movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something just happened. Something just happened. And we'll talk about that <laughs> on the Patreon. Um, but yeah, but we're taking a break again. Uh, for next week, uh, the last week of December, and then we're taking a break for, um all of january um you'll be you'll be hearing kind of old episodes that hopefully you haven't listened to if you're new to us um if you have listened to us to them before i hope you enjoy re-listening to them um and then the plan right now i guess i'll announce it in february we'll be coming back and we'll be doing gangster movies as the plan kind of gangster mob mafia we're working it out and we'll announce those movies at a later date but stay tuned for that uh i hope you have a happy holidays uh, that's what we have for you. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at podcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments. If there's a favorite episode you have that you want, you think we should re-release, maybe we'll look at it and see. So send us that if you want to. Um, if you're a new listener to the show or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to subscribe to Nation Podcast to stay updated on all our new episodes. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us for your preferred podcast platform. Uh, Hey guys, it's Christmas. The spirit of Christmas and the Christmas, the, the spirit of giving. Give a five star review <laughs> to Sin Nation Podcast. I feel it in my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, tell us what you like. That's 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 your Christmas gift to us or your holiday gift to us. Uh, I hope you have uh, a great holiday. Uh, wishing you happy holidays, and Merry Christmas from Sinish Podcast. Uh, and also, you know, follow us on the socials: Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Letterbox, TikTok. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you in the new year. Bye.